Well, good morning to you and welcome to the Christmas season at Central Heights. If we haven't met yet, my name is David and I have the privilege to be one of the pastors here at the church. And we are in a, a series called Home for the Holidays that we're going to be continuing this morning where we're taking things that are common during the Christmas season and we're using them to connect us to, to point us to uh, the greater realities, the greater truth uh, of Christmas that make Christmas Christmas from a, a heavenly perspective as we've sung before. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and gr- turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 14 to 19 this morning. That's where we're going to be camping out as we talk about family this morning. As we talk about this idea, this topic of family, we're going to take this text uh, from the Apostle Paul, this, this early follower of Jesus, and we're going to take this text as he writes to the church in and around Ephesus, and as he prays for family, we're going to take this and connect it to this idea of being home for the holidays, um, and, and this idea of family and how family makes Christmas uh, so beautiful and so rich in so many ways. And so this is, this is what Paul prays. So as we come to this text, Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus. And he prays these words. We pick up his prayer in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Well, up to this point in Paul's letter, he's been talking about the reality of who God is and what God has done in Jesus and and how that is on this miraculous event of bringing things together in heaven and on earth. And so Paul has been unpacking for the first three chapters this reality of who God is and what God has done. And on the heels of everything he said to this point, he comes to this place where in his mind he has no other option but to get on his knees before God and pray. He's totally enamored and in awe of the God who has done something so miraculous in Jesus. He can't contain himself, and the only response that he has is to get on his knees before God and worship. And we see him worshiping through prayer as we come to this passage this morning. He's overcome with awe as he prays, and as Paul prays, we see him praying for family. Now, my last name is Morelli. And if that's not a dead giveaway, it means I'm Italian. Uh, my dad's family comes from a little a town in, in the south of Italy called Bari. Um, and one of the things I love about being Italian is that you can be yelled at and told you're loved in the same conversation, and that's normal. Because this reality is that you are really deeply loved in an Italian family, but you can also be told uh, you're, you're dumb and, and you need to get your life together in the same conversation. And that's just a reality when you live in an Italian family, and nowhere is this more present than the annual Morelli Christmas Eve dinner. (laughs) Every year, this is a tradition in my dad's side of the family, is that his whole family comes together to have this seafood feast. 
And I say feast, what I mean is a feast. I mean, there's some former restaurant owners in my dad's side of the family, and so we have amazing seafood, like restaurant quality, homemade sauces, pasta, prawns, just you name it. It's like a, a, a buffet line of amazing food that we get to enjoy as a family, and it's not a small gathering. See, my dad has six brothers and sisters, and each of them have had three or four kids who are now having kids. And so when we get together, there's the potential for up to around 80 people to be in one room with tons of food. And so it's just this chaotic, beautiful, loud, amazing experience that we have together as a family when we get together for the Morelli's Christmas Eve dinner. And no matter what year it is or who's there or who's not there or, or where this is being held, you can always count on three things no matter what when you come to one of these dinners is that there's going to be lots of great food, there's going to be yelling, and there's going to be arguments over whose food's better. It's just the reality of what it looks like. So you take any of those three things away, even one of them, then you lose what makes the Morelli Christmas Eve the Morelli Christmas Eve. And without fail, every single year, whenever I go, I always leave thinking there's nothing like family. There's nothing like family. It's not perfect. Most of the time it's messy. Sometimes it's really hard. But at the end of the day, there is nothing like family. And that's true when we come at the topic of family from a this-world perspective, from our family of origin perspective, but it's even more true when we come at family from the perspective of God, from a God-level perspective, which is what Paul is doing for us as he's raising our eyes in this passage beyond a this-world perspective of the family to God's eternal family. And we see this perspective begin right when he prays in verses 14 and 15. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so Paul's prayer is pushing us beyond the bounds of what we normally think of when we think of family. If you're like me, when I think of family, more often than not, I think immediately of my family of origin, the family I'm born into. My parents, my siblings, my extended family, that's the family that I naturally gravitate to when I start to think about this idea of family. But Paul's not talking about that kind of family here. He's actually talking about, like as I said, God's family. And when we talk about God's family, what we're talking about is a whole different kind of family, one that transcends every other idea or formation or uh, kind of family. A family that Paul says includes all of heaven and earth and spans the past, the present, and the future and is filled with people who have said yes to Jesus and are in a living relationship with him. This is what Paul means when he talks about family. He's talking about this eternal spiritual family forever united by a common belief in Jesus. This is the family that Paul puts before us. This is the family that we find Paul praying for. And when it comes to this family, there really is nothing like God's family. There's nothing like it in heaven or on earth. This is the family that God is putting before us this morning. Now, the other day, my wife and I, we were sitting around the table, and we have a a a three-and-a-half-year-old son. His name's Levi. I talk about him a lot when I'm up here. Um, but we were sitting down, our other son was having a nap, and we were, we were sitting down and we were having this really amazing lunch. It was one of those times where, amazingly, he was actually behaving sometimes. He, he, he's just full of energy and he's got lots of, 
uh, uh, questions, and he's always getting into things. And we were having this really amazing moment where he was just sitting there, and we were having this discussion with him, and it, it was quite special. And, and so my wife, uh, as she is prone to do, she looks at him and she says, Levi, you're just such a treasure. And without hesitation, Levi responds, no, mommy, my name is Levi. I'm just a boy named Levi. And, it, and it's, it, that, that response struck me, both because it's this innocent and beautiful response. It's like, here's my, my loving wife, and she's looking at my son, and she's saying, you're a treasure. You're a gift from God. There's no one like you in this world. And his response is, no, I'm just a boy named Levi. And that's funny, but when you, what struck me is that Levi was making, without him knowing it, a statement of his identity. See, on some level, he knew who he was and who he wasn't, and he couldn't comprehend the idea of treasure, but what he could comprehend is that this is who I am. My name is Levi, and I'm a little boy. And it struck me as I thought about this message, it struck me as I thought about uh, this sense of knowing who we are and who we aren't, and knowing who you are and who you aren't, and being able to stand on that in the moments of life makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It makes a huge difference when you know who God says you are. It makes a huge difference when you know that God looks at you and this is who he sees when he looks at you. It makes a difference when the people around you don't see you that way or don't treat you that way. There's this difference that it makes in our individual lives, but what I want us to see is that it also makes a difference when it comes to us. Our corporate family, the, the family of God, the family that Paul's talking about is that knowing who you are as a family, makes a huge difference in how you live together, how you see one another, how you walk through life together, how you go through the ups and downs together. And so Levi's comment is a statement of identity. And I think Paul wants God's family to be the same. He wants us to know who we are and be able to stand on that together as we go through life together. And so here's the question, what makes God's family God's family? What makes us who we are and what drives how we live together? Well, Paul is going to tell us four things that we're going to unpack together in, in our time here about what makes God's family God's family. And the first thing is, is that God's family has been brought together by Jesus. See, before Paul prays for God's family, he's actually going to tell us in chapter 2 what God did in Jesus to create this one new community called God's family. If you look back at chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, Paul tells us that before Jesus came, the world was divided into Jewish people and to everyone else, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And so that meant that if you were Jewish, then you were always on the outside looking in, that God's blessings, God's promises were out of reach for you, and that Paul actually says that there was no hope for that to change, that they were without God, they were without hope, they were without the blessing and all the promises that God had. And so there was this division that had been set up in the way uh, of life. And, and this is what Paul is talking about in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 2. And this reality created an us versus them kind of mentality between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. It led to division and hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And so what Paul is saying as he starts unpacking this one thought of how Jesus came to bring a family together, he says that the world Jesus entered was a world of hostility and alienation and division, and it was all based on these external factors like your, what uh, nation you were born into, 
where you, where you lived, things like that, whether you were clean or unclean. There's this, this, this ethos of division, and it created hostility so that Jews and Gentiles disliked one another. I read a quote from a Bible scholar who actually said that for a Jewish boy or girl to marry a Gentile Jewish boy or girl was the equivalent of death for a Jewish person, that they had a contempt for anyone else. And this came because the, the, the blessing of God is that he had chosen Israel as his people and he had called them to be a light to the nations. He had called them to show people who he was, but Israel forgot that that was their calling and they got prideful. And that led to contempt, and it led to division, and it led to hostility. And so this world that Jesus enters is a world of division and hostility and darkness and alienation. But Paul says Jesus turns it all upside down in the best way possible. He goes on to say in verse 13, but now. And if you read the Bible, those words change everything. But now. But now, Paul says, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So Jesus breaks down all the barriers that divide us. Jesus breaks down all the barriers that divide us. His death brought together everything that was separated on both a heavenly and an earthly scale. Jesus broke down the barriers between us and God. All the stuff that kept us from a relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe. We were created to be in relationship with this God, but something separated us from, that, from him, and the Bible calls that sin. And so Jesus comes, and on the cross, he takes the penalty we deserved. He pays the price for our sins, dies the death we deserve, and through that reconnects us to God, breaking on all the barriers that kept us from God, that kept us separated from him. And so Jesus breaks down that barrier between us and God so that anyone who wants to can now have a relationship with the God of the universe. There's nothing in the way of that happening is that you can come today and you can have a relationship with the living God because Jesus broke down the barriers that separated you from him on the cross. But more than that, Jesus also broke down the barriers that divide us from one another. See, Paul is, is saying that every barrier, everything that divides us for the Jew and the Gentile, for us, economic status, social standing, nationality, political par party, the family you grew up in, the country you were born into and lived, your personal preferences, the things you, you believe in, the things you don't, all these things that divide us, Paul is saying Jesus removed those barriers between all of us when he died on the cross for us. Jesus breaks down all the barriers that divide us. And so Jesus j just didn't come to save us. Jesus also came to make a family. And this family is for all people. 
Because on the day that Jesus was born, these angels, this famous, famous verses, these angels came and they showed up and they made an announcement. And in Luke chapter 2, we see this announcement declared. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to these shepherds who were in this field. So it does not appearing to the to the most famous people to the religious elite he's not the angel is appearing to the lowest of the low people which is amazing to me an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so God's family is not an exclusive family. It's not for just the spiritual elite or the put together or the, or the people that you think it is or the people that are like you or think like you do. God's family is for all people. Jesus coming and doing what he did is good news for all people. It means that all the barriers have been taken away and there is nothing in the way of us having a relationship with God and there is nothing in the way of us being a part of his family. It's good news for all people. Jesus broke down all the barriers that divide us from God and all the barriers that divide us and keep us from one another. And in the midst of all the division and all the disconnection in our world today, that is good news, isn't it? That's good news because what we see in the press is what is division. The focus of our world is so much over what divides us, but the focus of the gospel is what brings us together and what unites us. And that bond is stronger than anything in this world. That bond is unbreakable when you are a part of God's family. And so no matter how big the differences are, what we have in common is much, much bigger. What we have in common is Jesus. Jesus unites us together. No division or barrier is stronger than that. And that's good news. That's good news, that no matter how far off you feel from God, or how far you feel from having a place to belong, know this, Jesus can bring you home. He can bring you home to the Father, and he can bring you into a family that's unlike any other family. And so God's family has been brought together by Jesus, and nothing can break that bond. So that's the first thing we see about God's family, is that God... God's family has been brought together by Jesus and that we are all fellow members in his household, kids. And the second thing about God's family is that God's family has a father who loves his kids. See, what makes Christianity distinct from all other faith systems is the reality that the God we worship is triune, is that there's one God made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is a great mystery, and we don't have time to go into it. We have sermon, sermons on this topic from the past, um, but what we need to see is that here in this text is that Paul is praying to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And if you trace the storyline of the Bible, this is how God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself as a father from front to back. This is who he has revealed himself to be. He's a father. And author Michael Reeves says that this is the most foundational thing about God. It's not some abstract quality, but the fact that he is a father. He says in this, his book, Delighting in the Trinity, that since God is before all things a father, and not primarily creator or ruler, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. It is not that this God does being father as a day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. 
It is not that he, was a, ha, ha, that he has a nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is a father all the way down. Thus, all that he does, he does as a father. That is who he is. He creates as a father and he rules as a father. And that means the way he rules over creation is most unlike the way any other God would rule over creation. So this is who God is. He's a perfect father who loves his kids. He's a father who was motivated by love to send what was most precious to him into this world so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That most famous passage in John 3.16, for God so loved the world and all the people in it, it was love that moved God to come and send his son Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's a love of a father who gave up what was most precious to him so he could, we could have an opportunity to be in relationship with him. Is a father uh, that's portrayed in Luke uh, 15 in the, the, the prodigal son. He's the father who, who runs to us when we come home to him. He picks himself up and he doesn't care. He runs to us to hold us and to embrace us. This is the love of the father in our family that we get to embrace and experience and enjoy. And this pushes up that against that idea that we often have that God is this old angry guy with a white beard up in heaven with his arms crossed and he's just watching us waiting to, to, to punish us for the mistakes we make. It pushes up against that. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a father who runs to you even in your biggest mess and embraces you and loves you and welcomes you home. This father will never run from you. He'll never quit on you. He'll never give up on you. This father will never cease to love you he will give you everything that your earthly father might not be able to give you or hasn't given you or can't give you. And the defining characteristic of God's family is that it has a father who loves his kids with an extravagant, out-of-this-world love. And one of the ways this God shows us this love is by what he gives us. And so not only is God's family brought together by Jesus, not only does God's family have a father who loves his kids, it's got a father who graciously gives us everything we need to be a family. Let's go back to Ephesians in verse 16. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through a spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So notice here, Paul is not appealing to a self-help book. He's not appealing to what is humanly possible to do. He's on his knees before God, asking God to give the family of God what we need to live together. He's looking to God and saying, the answers aren't in here. It's not in me. It's from you, God. It's, we need help from outside. We need divine help to actually go and live this life together as one, as the family of God. And I don't like this. I don't like that I don't have what it takes to, to love like Jesus. I don't like that I don't have what it takes to, to be patient, to be kind, to, to be listening before I speak. I don't like that I need to have this divine help from outside, that I don't have it within me to, to actually go and live this way. I don't like that. But what is encouraging to me is that there's grace for me, but that also is God sees that and he's still going to give me everything I need to be loving, to be the kind of brother to you, brother and sisters. And so what 
Paul is saying is that what we need to live together as a family doesn't come from in us, it comes from God. And thankfully, God's family gets its power from the Holy Spirit. And so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside anyone who believes in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has brought us together in in a bond of peace. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and works through us, enabling us to do what we could never do. The Holy Spirit is a present power, making it possible for us to actually go and live the life of Jesus individually, but together. And so God's family doesn't ju- isn't just brought together by Jesus. It doesn't just have a father who loves his kids. It gets divine power from the Holy Spirit. And it's a family that's marked by a love that surpasses knowledge. See, Paul wants God's family to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Jesus is. He wants us to to reach to the furthest dimensions that we possibly can to understand how much we're loved by Jesus. And this love, though, goes beyond our ability to actually understand it. See, Paul is saying here that Jesus' love is so beautiful, is so awesome, is so beyond our mental capacity to actually reach. He's like, we will get to one level and we will always find out there's more to grab because his love just never ends. It has no limit. It never ceases to blow our minds with how beautiful it is. And Paul's saying, family of God, press into this love ever deeper. Never cease pressing into this love. Never keep going into this love in a deeper way because you will never reach its fullest measure. See, the closest thing I can come to that that kind of grasps this for me is, is this reality about how much I love my family, my wife and two sons. And so when I met Catherine, I really thought that there was no way I could love anyone more. Like, I felt like I had reached the fullest potential of my ability to love. When I met this, this godly woman, and I was so excited with what God was doing in her life, I just looked at her, and I was like, man, there's, there's no way I could love anyone or anything more. And then God has graced us with two amazing boys. And each time I've held them for the first time, what I've experienced is that I, my heart just swells, and I have so much more love to give. Like that I never thought it was possible to love something more, but when I hold Levi, when I hold Jack, I look at them, I'm like, my goodness, I can love you so much more. There's so much more love in me than I ever thought possible. And so just when I think I get to the fullest measure of my ability to love, God shows me that I have so much more. I have so much more love to give. And this is what it's like with the love of Jesus. It's that just when we think we get to this fullest measure, a door is opened and we see there is a whole bunch more to dive into. It has no end. It has no limit. We can't reach its heights or grasp its depths. It surpasses the human ability to comprehend and know. It's so awesome. And then here's the reality is that God shares that love with us. He looks at us and he says, you're my kids. I am going to literally pour out my love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul describes it in another letter. That this love that surpasses knowledge, this eternal love, God shares with us. And so if you've experienced this love, then you know. If you haven't experienced it, then you can experience it today because God has made a way for us to know Jesus, to not just know him, but to know his love that surpasses knowledge as well. And so Paul says, church family, press into this love. 
Never cease pressing in. Never give up pressing into it. This love will not fail you. It will never end. It has no limit. Go as deep as you can. And it's this love that will break new ground. It's this love that will remove barriers. It will, it's this love that will overcome differences. Now, I'm not a, a royal follower. I don't really follow the royal family. But when Meghan Markle and Harry, Prince Harry got married, I watched a bit of their ceremony. Just a confession time. I'm just being honest with you guys. I succumbed. I gave in. I'm still working through that in... But if you watched it, it was this really interesting dynamic because in that, in that ceremony, you had a lot of crusty British people who grew up in a, in a certain stream of faith. And, and, and so it's funny, you're watching this, this ceremony, it's all about pomp and it's all about circumstance and it, it's just like this really beautiful, like very upper crusty kind of thing. And the, the, the guy that came to deliver the message for the marriage message, he was from the U.S., Bishop Michael Curry, I think his name was. And he comes in and he just drops a beautiful gospel bomb in that place. If you saw it, you understand, you know, he came in there and he was passionate and he was fiery and he was in the most beautiful way. And he's, he's talking about Jesus and he's, he's preaching about re- the power of redemptive love. And you see these, these smirks on, on, on the, the British people's face. Like, they don't even know what to do with this guy. They're like, oh my goodness, like, what's going on here? But he, it's this beautiful sermon it's just incredible. And in it, he quotes Martin Luther King Jr. And this is the quote that, he, that just grabbed me, and I think it applies here. He says, We must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world, for love is the only way. There's power in love. There's power in love to help and heal when nothing else can. There's power in love to lift up and liberate when nothing else will. There's power in love to show us the way to live. There's power in love to overcome our differences. And so the love we need to have as a family is the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. Not just in knowledge, but in our hearts flowing through us to one another. This is what Paul is envisioning for the church. The love of Jesus is key. And before we can love like Jesus... We must let Jesus' love get in us. Before we can love like Jesus, we must let his love get inside of us and change us. And when that love gets in us, we'll begin to love like Jesus did. And we'll begin to live as a family like God envisions. And so here is the vision of God's family that Paul puts before us. It's been brought together by Jesus. He has a father who loves his kids. It's a family that gets its power from the Holy Spirit, and it's a family that's marked by a love that surpasses knowledge. And you put all this together, and there is nothing like God's family. There's nothing like God's family. And I am so aware, as I've been speaking and as I've been preparing for this, that your family experience might not be a good one. See, we have all different kinds of families represented in this place this morning. We have big families and small families. We have, some of us, we get along with our families, others of us don't. Some of us, we feel a hole in our hearts and in our family life because someone who used to be there is not there this, this Christmas, and it's really hard. That's our story in our family. My father-in-law, this is his first Christmas, he's not here, and, and it hurts. Because when we do stuff with our family, there's this hole, there's this person that used to be there that's not anymore, and that's, that's hard. We have all different kinds of families in this place. We have families that are doing really well, and we have families that are just holding on. We have families that are 
that are blended. We have first marriages, second marriages. We have all different kinds of families. And so your experience that you carry in here of your family really shapes how you view family. But what I want you to see this morning is that there is nothing like God's family. And that you have a home in his family. And that no matter what your family of origin looks like, no matter what the family you're born into is like, that you have a place in the family of God. And this is a family like nothing else. It's not a perfect family. It's made up of imperfect people, but it's a family where you can find what you can find in no other family, the love of a father that will never fail, quit, or give up on you. A family that's filled and empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. A family that's rooted and grounded in a love that it surpasses knowledge. A family that fills heaven and earth and spans the past, present, and future. There really is nothing like God's family, isn't there not? And so whatever your experience of family is, messy or otherwise, good or bad, you have a home in God's family. No matter how far off you are or how far you feel, Jesus can bring you home. And so as we get up and we leave this place today, as we go out into the, uh, the, the Christmas season and we have family gatherings and we, and we face all those things about our family, what I want you to hold on to is when you th- experience Christmas this year, don't just think family this Christmas, think God's family. Don't just think family this Christmas, think God's family. As you interact with your families, as you come here to church, as you go to the different spaces in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, when, when that thought family comes to mind, remember that if you have said yes to Jesus, then you are a part of this beautiful family called God's family, and that no matter what your experience is, you can experience something different in the family of God. And so this Christmas, don't just think of family, think of God's family. Remember there's this greater family that you've been invited to, that this is good news for all people, that you are welcome, and there's a father who loves you and wants to embrace you. Remember, there's a greater family that you are a part of as you go through this holiday season. And so don't just think family this Christmas, think God's family, and secondly, take a step. See, some of us, no matter where we are today, we all come in here with different uh, experiences of God or, or beliefs about God. We come in different places and different family scenarios. Wherever you're at, Take a step, just one. And might I encourage you to take a step towards Jesus today. Might I encourage you that the best step that we can ever take, no matter what season it is, no matter what our family situation is, the best step that we can ever take in any situation in all of life is to take a step toward Jesus. Because Jesus, he is everything. It's why we celebrate Christmas. He's why we're here singing this morning. It's why we sing songs like King of Kings and King of Heaven. It's because Jesus, we really believe that Jesus is far better, that he is more beautiful, that there is no name above his, that he can give you everything you've been looking for. For the first time, if you've never stepped towards Jesus before, he can give that to everything that we've talked about. He can save you from anything that separates you from God. You can be welcomed into God's family. And that can happen for you today. Or if you already enter a living relationship with Jesus, maybe for the first time in a long time, you need to take a step back to him. You need to stop looking to, to what you can do. You can stop looking to what that person did. Um, you can stop looking to the mistake you made. Instead, you just need to step toward Jesus this Christmas and be reminded that he is so good and he is so beautiful and that he has done everything so that you can have a relationship with the living God. So maybe you need to take a step towards Jesus, but maybe you need to take another step. And that's take a step toward God's family. See, one of the things that I love about this church is that we 
we, we talk about being a family. And one of the beautiful things is that as God continues to bring people to our church, new people, families from, from different churches, new believing families, families that are here to, to, to check out what is God is doing in this place, one of the things we really need to do and keep in mind, especially if you've been here for generations, especially if you've grown up here, is this reality that every single person who walks in these door, doors is a member of God's family or is a potential member of God's family. And we need to be really intentional, especially during the Christmas holidays, to take a step towards people. Because when you look around, the person you're sitting beside, the person that's in your section, they're not just a stranger or someone you happen to be sitting by. They're a brother and sister in Jesus. They're a family. And there's people in here that need to be welcomed into family. And so maybe that looks like, instead of taking a step towards the people you always talk to at the end of the service, maybe you take a step towards the people that you never talk to. And maybe you invite someone who has never had the experience of being a part of a family, like God's family. Maybe you invite them to come over for dinner, come over for lunch, or go to grab a coffee, or go to the cafe and just talk. Maybe our step this Christmas is we need to take a step towards people who are in God's family or who are not and are potential members of God's family. Because when we do that, we're actually doing what Jesus did which was take a step towards us, come to rescue us and connect us to God, but also to come and make a family like no other family. And so the, Jesus came to make a family that's marked by love and every single person here is welcomed into that family. And that is good news for all people this Christmas. So I'm going to pray and then the band's going to worship. And so God of grace... Man, when I start to think about what you've done in Jesus, I'm like Paul. I fall on my knees. I, I, I get in awe. I feel awestruck by just how much you've done so that I could have everything that I've always sought for, looked for, wanted, desired, but could never find apart from you. And so I, I come and, and we come as your family, God, and what we want to say is thank you. God, we worship you and we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. That the magnitude of what you've done for us reaches way beyond what we can comprehend, way beyond what we can experience and know in our finite capabilities. But you invite us into a life with you. You invite us into a life with a family that is unlike any other family. And so I pray with wonder in my heart and a desire for Central Heights, your church worldwide, to show the world what it looks like to be the family of God. And as we do that, I pray that many people would become members of God's family that, who, that aren't right now. That this Christmas, we would see the family of God rally together with a love that is so amazing, so unexplainable, that we would love one another in such a way that it would compel people to want to be a part of this family. I pray, God, that you would empower us to do that by your Spirit, for your glory, our good, and the sake of your eternal, beautiful family. In Jesus' name, amen.